I should. I have suggestions for all these late night hosts. I think Jimmy Fallon should use yeah. more, more TV references. I've got a better <laughs> suggestion for all of them, which is like, you should all call your parents and apologize for fucking sucking, and then go get a job as a fucking mailman because you're garbage. Yeah, Conan is great. Yeah, he would be an even better funny mailman. You know. Yeah. I, I mean, you're right. You know? He would shine more as a mailman. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It would bring more light into people's lives. Just, just replace it with the Thunderdome. Nobody's watching anyway. Okay, cool. I quit. <laughs> I mean, most Conan's viewership is on YouTube now. I think. Oh yeah. Like, people yeah. post their stuff on YouTube. People watch it there. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Not Twitch. I don't think he posted Twitch. Does Twitch do anything besides video games? It's just video games, right? No, like podcasters stream themselves like farting on each other. I'm sure I don't oh, we know. Do what should the people, the people pay to watch that? Podcast called. Yeah, yeah, people pay for the stupidest shit. I mean, I guess they always have Pet Rock as a notable example. I suppose mm, that's cool. Yeah, that's it's not scary. stupid. Yeah, come on. That kind of rules. Mm, yeah, I suppose. Pay to watch people play video games is dumb. Pay for <laughs> Rock <laughs> is awesome. Yeah, you couldn't beat someone to death with your pet parrot. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, pet well, rock is yeah, definitely. Right. It's one of the most lethal pets. It's simultaneously the, le- the least edible and most lethal pet. More versatile <laughs> than pet shark. All right, welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome. Uh, I'm your host, Asher Lack. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Alan Sussman. So. The Honorable Sam Lazarus. Yo. And Raphael Ruttenberg, ESQ. Hey. And we are coming to you live from week 14. Is it week 14? I don't know, man. I can't even. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's sort of unclear when we went into the bunker. Um, I think March 17th was the day I remember now going into work. Yeah, yeah where I was supposed to, and I did it. That's that's the day. Yeah, we're on week theta year exclamation point of infinity. Yeah, Asher, honestly, uh, you should know better because time is time is a cube. There are four simultaneous days, so this this week shit that you're talking about is weak. <laughs> Dude, I saw I one of our it's word one of our for, followers it's word murder for one thing. One of our followers on Twitter posted a picture of their to-do list and in the middle of it was research time cube and I was like, I fucking know this person got it from us. So yo, what's up, Dan? Thanks for tuning oh, in. That you was fucking oh. rule. Yeah, Dan, um, awesome. Yeah. Dude, thanks Dan for making our lives that. better. Dan has great banter at Wolf Parade shows. Uh, does Dan want to? Does Dan like sci-fi? Do we have any idea? I think so. I think you can't be in a punk band and kind of not like sci-fi. But we can dig into some the of that. The last album had a, had a sci-fi. Um, some of the songs I think were sort of like thematic with a sci-fi bent to them. For sure. I don't know. Um, and today we're talking about Doctor Strangelove. Which Stanley is not Kubrick. sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, definitively well, not sci-fi, except that it is sort of. Uh, 1964, 
I, this is the second time in since we've entered quarantine that we've watched a movie for this podcast, and I've been relieved at the end of the movie to be living in our current timeline and not the timeline of this movie. This has only happened twice of the like twenty million movies we've watched in the infinity of year zero. I don't know. What did you I guys say? Initial thoughts. I will say that the ending of this movie is a lot less agonizing than the ending we're going through now. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. quick. No, yeah. that's true. I thought it was amazing. One of my favorite movies. It's a great movie. This is I the forgot first... how funny this movie is. Yeah. yeah. It's a riot. This is yeah. the first, I think the first black and white movie that I really liked. I remember watching this mm. at an age when I was like, I definitely noticed it was in black and white and I remember thinking, this rules for a movie in black and white. So it's I couldn't also, have been older than like 29 or 30. <laughs> I think this is also the last like studio released or one of the last black and white movies. I feel like I saw this movie at your house. Sam. Oh yeah. That sounds about right. Did we double feature it with uh, Rocky horror? Or? Well, so you guys are all talking about how this movie is funny and it is, it's obviously meant to be a satire, but like, in watching it, I was struck by how not funny it was this time around. And like, usually these jokes, I'm like, oh, ha, 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 ha. And now I'm just like, I, I was watching with Carolyn and I was like, I just want to cry. She's like, yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> I was doing a lot of sad chuckle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that this is an interesting movie where the satire, like what you feel has been being satirized in your in world events and in your lived experience is change slightly so i mean it's one thing to watch this movie you know in the bush era when it's like you have like bumbling neocons who are just evil and rotten to their core in charge of things and like it does satirize that mindset to, to some degree it's you know it's not you know no no one is is as in this is as venal with the exception of george you know um general um fuck. general george ripper no, not General. George C. Scott's character. Uh, Buck Turgidson. Turgidson. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, like, maybe Buck Turgidson is kind of like a George Bush. But yeah, he's so more of a Rumsfelder or Cheney. Because he's actually, like, and actually, he's, I, I yeah. wanted to. I he's got a bit of the bumbling this. thing. Yeah. Well, um, and Slim, Slim Pickens has that, has that you know, te- country fried, fried Texas psychopath flavor. But just to finish my point. The satire shifts from that, and now we have General Ripper, who has ripped his playbook straight out of QAnon. I mean, not literally, but like it's very reminiscent. And then you have people in QAnon, you know, what are they called? Like Q Qophiles? Yeah, Uh, Q people. Q believers. Q dolls. Yeah, (laughs) Q P manes. Um, they're they're in positions of they're, they're going to be more and more in positions of power. Like, is it that inconceivable that like some general who has you know access to some weapon is going to be like, I'm going to drop a bomb on Antifa? You know, it's like it's not hard to believe because people are. It's a different brand of psychosis. It's it's also particularly American. Also, I want to say like it's funny how little these things have changed. Like, people are still upset about fluoridated water. And I want to ask people why they think that is. Well, like, yeah, that's amazing. It's, it's I, over 50 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, 1965, right? 1964, it's the same shit. Yeah. 
It's yeah. the same shit. shit. It's insane. Well, yeah, it's we're it's not saying it's the bananas. communists anymore, but yeah, it's exactly the same. No, we are saying it's the communists. It is very much the communists. There's like uh, Fox News as we speak is like trying to insinuate that there is a like Juche like Stalinist coup underway in this country because some weirdo hippies like declare an autonomous zone in Seattle, which is apparently a city in America. I'd never heard of it before. So, I mean, I don't know. Fox News is, you know, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, squeezing their assholes extra hard over this, trying to maintain the direction. It's just hilarious because there's no red empire anymore. So, like, the fear of a world power that could snuff us out any moment, but then trying to translate it into, like, some dudes in Seattle who want to have their own, you know... It was, always a, it was always a proxy because, like, yeah, you know, the, another thing is from the the putative left, like the uh, Russia gay people, was this idea that uh, Russia hacked uh, U.S. elections and installed Donald Trump somehow, even though that didn't happen. Um, so uh, they believed this that but for Russia, Donald Trump would have lost, and they transmute this into like. The, this, this Russophobia and it, it like all the symbolism they use is Soviet. You know, there's like there's like that famous graphic someone made with the that says GOP, but the O is like a sickle and hammer. Like, what the fuck is that person thinking? It's just it's a boogeyman, right? Yeah, that's gross. I mean, it's it's interesting because I, I the Russiagate thing is so it's totally stupid and i agree with you wholeheartedly that like that it's a way that like brain dead boomer libs can kind of justify the horrifying political policies of the last 40 years it's a coping, it's a coping. Yeah. yeah it's a it's a coping mechanism for the fact that they they can't deal with their aesthetic distaste for donald trump right well, even yeah. though the policies that he espouses are arguably even easier on people than like uh george w bush right uh I mean, I, I mean, certainly not now, but you know what I mean. It's like, okay, I'll cut that. No, it's fine. It's a, it's, a, it's what you, I just don't agree. You don't have to cut I, it. I don't. No, no, no. Listen, I don't think that you can construe Donald Trump as. I mean, I think a lot of people try and make him into an actual populist. Nothing he's done is popular. Yeah. I mean, like, exactly. arguably, arguably the the stimulus bill, but it was such fucking thin soup. It's like, like, hard to argue that. And there's no follow up. So like a boomer lib, all of the, they're like, I don't like the, the president because he said some some dirty words, and I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. the West I don't like people. him. Yeah, exactly, yeah, Western people, and it's like, I, I, I don't like him because he's putting children in concentration camps. Like, and and you know what? Guess what? He has where before the pandemic, he had a smaller body count than our previous fucking Republican pub, uh, president. That's all I'm talking about. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, there is a so, like, strong tendency. Their dislike of, of our current administration is so much more aesthetic than it actually is meaningful to me, at least. Not anymore now, obviously, because of the pandemic and because of just yeah, all the other the fucking same. horrifying things. But had these things not occurred, we could have squeaked by from this administration and, you know, sort of real heads would have known like, yeah, this was bad, but it could have been so much worse had someone competent been in power. I think a lot of I think a lot of liberals like their revulsion of Trump is, you know, ultimately class based. Like they think he's like you know he's from a lower he's from a lower class, 
and he's nouveau riche and he's pretending mm-hmm. and he doesn't you know to be you he's know too tacky yeah, he's tacky. Yeah, that's what it is, which is classic. That's, that's, that's yeah. what I mean but when I, I say it's both. an aesthetic difference. Yeah. But you're right. Sorry, I don't. Sam, say what you were going to say. No, I think you're both right. Like it's a class thing, but also like elitism maybe is part of it, and it's 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 all those things. I don't see how it's related to this movie though. Well, yeah. okay, so th- this movie actually, I, I wanted to talk about because it holds up a really interesting thing that uh, sort of dichotomy or dialectic that I was thinking about in the context of the Bush administration, the second Bush administration, of true believers versus kind of institutionalists who will use ideologues to get some other agenda through, right? Mm -hmm. And the sort of difference between General Ripper, who is just a complete brain-dead psychopath who's lost his mind, and Buck Turgidson, who's an opportunist, he doesn't actually think the commies are coming to get us but he might be able to sort of get in line with that as long as it affords him whatever actions he wants to do. Yeah, I mean, like his, you know, it is, I mean, I I see what you're saying. It is definitely like, it exposes two types of uh, Cold War paranoia. One of which is like sort of instantaneously, like we can reject it, it's like horrifying. But the reason this movie is so good and why the satire bites so hard is that, you know, on the one hand, you have Jack D. Ripper, which is like, you know, I mean, first of all, an utterly ridiculous name. Um, all the names are utterly- I mean, all the names are ridiculous, but that, that one just takes the cake. So to me, it's sort of just like it's signaling this guy is a complete maniac and you're repulsed by him. But then there's George C. Scott's character, Turgidson. So he's turgid. You know, he's erect for the idea of, of slaughter. Yeah, and that's a lot. I mean, that's a, that's a deeper cut, right? I mean, that's something that you see more in Kubrick's other movies. This sort of like subtler uh, indictment of militarism and jingoism. Really, what the movie lays bare is that guys like Turgidson don't actually believe that this conflict is imminent. Like, if they actually did, they would be taking the actions of Jack D. Ripper, right? They would be like, well, eventually we right. will have conflict, but then. I, I mean, I think it's more like it's a convenient fear to latch onto because it leads to the the end that they want, which is the he's like Raf said, he's erect for destruction, right? So he's he's constantly thinking of scenarios, and it's like the whole point of you know the upper echelons of the military is to figure out what we do in these worst case scenarios, what to do, you know. And I, I'm sure many of them are like, how are we going to minimize? He says it, minimize losses. It's like, and he with the glee, you know, that he says like mm-hmm. only twenty million. Like, yeah, it's a bit of a dust up. <laughs> yeah, but right, so it's dismissive, but also gleeful. Said. Like, so right, depending on the breaks. But my so point being, points. like, whether or not he believes in that it's that the commies are going to do it anyway doesn't matter. Like, the thing he cares about is what's going to get him to what's going to further the conflict that's why like he's on top of the ambassador with the, you know planning the camera on him like it doesn't it turns out the guy does have a camera like he's right but it doesn't matter it's not relevant if communism is really out i think that's just the the refrain in the back of his head that he uses to like maintain the forward momentum of his insanity of, of the whole system this insanity of the whole system you know yeah and i think but i i think that part of the movie's indictment and we haven't really given the premise to our listeners but um part of the movie's indictment is that 
at the beginning of the movie, Jack D. Ripper basically starts to believe that what they've all been told about conflict being imminent is happening, right? Like he, he basically drinks the Kool-Aid and <laughs> follows that course, right? And so it's, this is a movie about what would happen if one of these people who are planning our imminent destruction at all times actually believed that what they were planning was going to happen. Right. Which is like, it's a, it's a crazy thing because we never think about it that way. Like usually when you make a plan, it's because you think it's going to happen. And it's like, well, it's sort of world co- where it's yeah. like a corollary of mutually assured destruction, right? Like it's, that's just what happens if you're constantly planning based on this idea of unthinkable, you know, cat- catastrophic exchange of force. Like then it's never supposed to happen, but, but you're spending your whole time planning, making sure that if it happens, we have an edge. Like there's this, this mirage of victory out of destruction. Right. I don't know. What's, yeah. yeah. Well, so that's what's interesting about that is that it you, you, I mean, there's a lot of time spent, uh, building, you know, building that mirage. Uh, so it's like, once you step back, you realize how insane this is like that, that what a normal person would do would be tr- to try and dismantle this. But there's so much um, manufactured consent. There's so much propaganda. There's so much ideology behind this that people begin to sort of incorporate this, normalize this yeah. um, when it's, it's crazy. And like the interesting thing about this movie is that it really seems like pull down the veil so much so that at the beginning there is uh that little, uh, you know, the, the, the text on the screen, uh, the title card that says, the Air Force has assured us this something like this could never happen. They have safeguards in place. Right. Like, it's, I don't know. I, I meant to look it up. I didn't. I don't know if that actually was something that they put at the beginning of the film or if that was just part of filmmaking in order to suggest, uh, like, what you're here to see is, like, so shocking. It's like people in, in the movie theaters have suffered from premature death. <laughs> And insanity. And it's like, From you know. Bowel ejaculation. <laughs> how they used to sell, like, these uh, campy 50s horror movies. Like, yeah. The people's horror eyes have fallen out. <laughs> yeah. People's Children have spontaneously combusted. So uh, the idea is, like, this is so insanity making because it shows you how completely fucking nuts things are. The idea that this is winnable, the idea that this has a good ending, um, you know, by the skin of our fucking teeth, right? But just like to see it for what it is, is completely nuts. And I think something, we're in a similar position right now, right? Yeah. In different ways. I mean, I feel a little less bleak about the future than I do about the future of this movie and that basically all life on earth is done. So at the end of this, I mean, obviously they're going to have bunkers and they're going to survive in some regard. No, they won't. Let's... No, they won't. Yeah. No, yeah. he's Hang saying on. it. No, he's saying that if the, the doomsday device goes off, they'd have time to put together bunkers, but uh, an exchange, which is how the movie ends. No, no, no time. We just all like within a season, we'd all be dead. Hang on. We okay. We're debating the end of the movie and how it ends because I have a different interpretation. So let's let's pause it and get to that. But okay. for listeners who haven't, another Peter Sellers movie one might reference in this case, The Mouse That Roared, uh, being there. Oh, sorry. We could go on. We can. Okay, cool. So for listeners who haven't seen this movie, 
basically the the premise is that General Jack D. Ripper has gone insane and sent a message to American airplanes that are perpetually in the air waiting to bomb Russian military targets. He sent a message that they are to follow the attack plan, and he's decided that it's time to initiate and win World War III. He sends this message, and then he is the only person who can give them the code to undo it, and essentially the rest of the movie is the United States military trying to find a way to stop these planes in cooperation with the Russians, try and overtake Jack D. Ripper with the help of uh, Colonel Mandrake, played by Peter Sellers. And Peter Sellers plays, what, only three roles in this movie? Three. He was supposed to play the captain on the plane, but they got Slim Pickens instead. Slim Pickens is dope in that. Um, Yeah, and the movie basically cuts between four sort of set pieces, which are uh, Jack D. Ripper in his office with Peter Sellers as Colonel Mandrake, and then it cuts to the war room underneath the Pentagon. I don't know. It doesn't actually exist, the war room, although legendarily, when Nixon was first brought into office, he was like, can you take me to the war room, fellas? And they were like, uh, Richie, that doesn't exist. Well, there's the situation room. Now, yeah. <laughs> with Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> And the, the situation, Mr. The Ab guy, yeah. <laughs> whose whose face is like too messing. Have you seen pictures of him recently? It's really scary. Is it tumorous? It looks like it looks like he does crunches with his face. <laughs> bad. It's a uh, bad situation. Bad situation. Bad. It's a bad situation. She just named the scenario. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So oh. so. The war room. What are the other two situations? Uh, the plane in Russia, which again, Slim Pickens is the captain of the plane, and James Earl Jones, which is this his first movie role? I can't remember. Um, um, he's he's, young. he's yeah. like a flight engineer. He's like the bomb technician on the plane, and uh, also in Conan the Barbarian, starring Conan O'Brien. That's how we connect all the dots here. Yeah. So in terms of like conservation of location, this almost has like a play quality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah and, and Peter Sellers plays the president and the titular character Dr. Strangelove who is a Nazi scientist advising the president once it becomes clear that Russia's doomsday device that will automatically retaliate to the attack by the Americans um, is going to cause the end of life on Earth also the only sort of sci-fi conceit in the movie yeah the Doomsday well, device and, being a, de- yeah, a device that, based on, you know, they, they give a short explanation, computers and magnetic tape, if a certain scenario occurs, it will release, like, an imaginary, I think, imaginary uh, element that has a half-life of 93 years and is radioactive that will blanket the entire planet. Which, um, though, the case is carbonium. Yeah, Gavardorium G. Yeah, unobtainium. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What's stupid about that is that most fissile material has a half-life of like tens of thousands of years. Yeah, the numbers there aren't right. It's it's like 93 years. And it's just like 93 years a human could live through. That's not that bad. Yeah, although half-life, it probably wouldn't be safe. That's another thing. Like he, he does this elaborate calculation at one point with like a circular slide rule and comes up with 100 years, which is like seven years after the half-life of this whatever thing that he's talking about 
That, like that's crazy. No, you can't go out after one half life. Give me a break. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be at least 270 years before anybody can go outside. Hold on, let me find my slide rule. All right. <laughs> why did George C. Scott? Why did uh, he have a camera in the situation in the uh, war room? To plant on the ambassador because he's a paranoid. But he didn't know that the ambassador was going to be there. Yeah, clearly he just carries with all the time. The same way he has like 15 packs of gum just in, in case. A Russian, in a Russian matchbox? He has a secret <laughs> camera? Yeah. <laughs> Mainly, I wanted to talk to you guys. Well, first of all, we've already kind of touched on it. That like this movie is initiated by this general having a breakdown about water fluoridation. Which like, yeah, time is a fucking flat circle. Like there are still... I, could, I couldn't believe it, like, how relevant this was. Yeah. And they, they touched on so many other... The way that unfolds is such a fucking masterpiece. Uh, like, I love I love that, that, that part of this movie, how we just sort of, like... It starts off like, okay, he's a, you know, bloodthirsty paranoid, and then he's like, my bodily... My precious bodily fluids. And then Colonel Mandrake is like, how did you come up with this? He's like, well... During the act of love, I felt the physical great, act of love. The physical act of love, I felt a great emptiness. Women sense my power, but I deny them my essence. <laughs> oh, like, he also says, that, "I won't make this climax, mistake again." It's great. Sorry. Yeah, when it reaches that climax, you're like, "Holy shit!" It's just an incredible portrait of like really dark, you know, paranoia and mental disturbance. Yeah. I always wondered what he meant when he was like, women try to get my essence, but I deny it to the mandrake. And I was like, is it like, so everybody wants your cum? Like, yes, like that's it, what that saying. is some like real, that's like Lyndon LaRue shit. Like you could hear them shouting it out. Like, give us our magnet trains. Stop draining my jizz. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, after ejaculation, you do feel kind of empty. La petite more, you know? Yeah. So maybe he's onto something. La petite awesome. Le grand awesome. Right, <laughs> Le grand boof. Le grand orgasm. <laughs> Le grand jeez. But, yeah, and I, I thought, again, first of all, like, yeah, the, the fluoridation thing is, I can't believe people are still talking about that now, but it's also super common to 5G Oh, Which, yeah. like, I don't know. That's I, a new one. But, I mean, I have seen... What is 5G? I don't know what that is. It's like <laughs> 4G, but one more. Oh, so Alan, do, you, do you want to explain 5G? I, I, I know what it is, but I thought you'd be better at explaining it. I have 4G on my phone. It says it, so I think I'm okay. Yeah, you're safe. You're cool, man. You're fine, Rap. You're asking what... What? What 5G, like, on cell phones is? Yeah. What, wait, Alan, do you not know about like the people who think that coronavirus is from exposure to 5G networks? Yeah, and get on this shit, please. Yeah, Come didn't on. Started in Wuhan. You didn't know about this? Holy shit! <laughs> I feel so lucky that we get to fucking... <laughs> wait, how, Alan, how did you avoid this? Uh, I don't know. I'm in my house. It's pretty easy to avoid stuff. Maybe, maybe his mind has been wiped by 5G. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Have you upgraded already, Alan? Because that might be how your firmware. Oh, I have six G. Nice. 
That's one better. Wait, so what is the 5G thing? It's just like the next frequency band they're doing. That's what it's I was asking. Bandwidth. What is 5G thing? Yeah, Sam. No, what's the conspiracy? Well, first, there, there's. If you think that there's just one, you are woefully mistaken. <laughs> because this shit is like the Coachella of conspiracy theories. Every demented cave dwelling freak thinks that it's whatever thing they believe in. It's like five G is making people gay. Five G is making you just. It's it's next level. But Sam, explain for our listeners who don't know what five G is. What is five G? Uh, I don't know. The fifth generation cellular communication technology. Yeah, but G stands for generation. It doesn't really stand for any particular and specific type of technology. It stands for gamma rays. Well, I guess that would depend on jurisdiction. My understanding is like 5G is the trademark name of the new standard that supersedes or you know is better than 4G, the one that was called 4G. So it's a separate set of mind control frequencies um, that use different, you know, you need a different tower. It has to be higher power because I, I think that's... I can tell Alan is from his, from his no, eyes. No, I'm just thinking, <laughs> so what is the evidence that well, coronavirus... So you don't need evidence. Yeah, you don't need evidence. What, what, are, need. what are the, you know, string of claims? Okay, so I think... And Sam, back me up on this well, if this makes sense. I think that... I don't know. Heard of coronavirus... <laughs> at the same time you heard of 5g yes and that's the you didn't heard of it before so put the fucking pieces together Jeez. yeah wake up sheeple yeah yeah that's that's the first level of you know insert problem here but i i think that the the people who sort of dig into this a little bit heavier and and again correct me on the science on this one sam is that 5g has a lot more it's a shorter wavelength than 4G. And so because it's a shorter wavelength, it's much easier yeah. to diffract or to deflect. So like a longer wavelength can go through a wall where a shorter wavelength can. So 5G requires a lot more frequent placement of towers. And so I think, I mean, Sam, I see you rolling your eyes on this. No, no, I'm just saying that I don't think you can say exactly that there's a linear relationship, like higher frequency means more refraction in walls. It depends on the relationship between whatever structure is in the wall and the actual length, the actual wavelength, right? Like a chicken wire fence will block FM, but it won't block microwave, right? Right. Um, or I don't know if that's precisely true, but I just mean like different frequencies are blocked by different things. It's not that straightforward. It might also be the case that 5G is more blocked by walls. I don't know if that's true or not specifically, but I do know that it would be higher energy, which would mean you would need new towers and they, and you know, it would make sense to have more less frequently because then you need less power to run them if they're right. Like a, com- like a f- 50% power 5g tower as compared to a hundred percent power 4g tower might have less range, but higher bandwidth. So you'd run them at a lower power and you'd have more of them? I don't know. I'm just theorizing. I don't know the tech that intimately. Fair enough. And neither do I. I, I'm going from other stuff that I read. I just, I know that it would require more towers for the same level of coverage, but that the bandwidth would be way higher. Right. So, so from whatever engineering perspective that would be, I'm not sure if it's actually based on wavelength or frequency or whatever. Or walls or 
power saving, whatever, whatever reason yeah. that is true. Yeah. But I think that like a 4g tower has something like a one mile radius and a 5g tower has something like an order of magnitude lower. Almost. It's like, it's like 200 feet or something ridiculous. Like I that. think, I think you expect Alan, maybe you can back me up on this. You expect a drop in range related to an increase in frequency at the same power. So basically for the conspiracy paranoiac people out there, there's a feeling of like, okay, well, first of all, they're building these towers with much greater frequency everywhere. And so that means that the government or whoever's in charge, the cabal, the reptilians, the fucking elders of Zion, the Rothschilds, you you name your sinister group. They're now like demanding more and closer access to us. And then again, insert sinister effect that they want to do with the new shorter wavelengths. So it's like, yeah, it's breaking down our DNA so that we all. That how that works? I'm according to some scientists that I've read online, 100%. By the way, scientists do mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that was one of them that I read online. I mean, the, the one that like, yeah, that 5G originated in Wuhan at the same time as coronavirus. I can't yeah. get my head around how uh, I just like, it's incomprehensible to me. I can't fathom it. It seems very similar to like, you know, people used to blame power lines on, on stuff. And right. So I or think it's contrails. just... I feel like it's just like if you live in like a more rural place and things are popping up that are out of your control because you're basically like in, in control of your surroundings for the most part mm-hmm. right yeah things are popping up that are not in your control then yeah and then something right. else happens then you blame the the only other degree of freedom that you're aware of right yeah. We're constantly looking, cross-referencing in our in information input for patterns, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. We, see, we see faces and everything, and we see uh, human agency and everything, too. You know, we try, we try to struggle with that all the time. Or divine agency. Just agency generally. Yeah, well, yeah. Right? I don't know. Yes. Yeah, so I thought that this movie was really interesting in that way. Also, did you guys catch there was somebody mentions at some point and i think it has to do with who's fluoridating the water they say the bland corporation which is like a direct nod to the rand corporation did you guys catch that which again like for my conspiracy homies they're like a frequent frequently like referenced multinational corporation that like is part of the cabal again right like the rothschilds who are they the rand corporations i mean they're what do they do like they're like a think everything. tank, yeah. That like they do everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I off the policy thing. Off tank. the record, they do everything. On the record, yeah. What's, what is their shit about? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Exactly. It's like rich people getting it's together, like, and that's it's like money laundering. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That'd be so, we just be, it's so perfect because that's what all this shit is about. It's like yeah. blah blah blah. X Y Z is trying to like shrivel your balls and turn you into a femboy or like you know is trying to like implant reptile dna when they're actually just stealing your money (laughs) it's like it's so similar thanks for the taxes loser (laughs) yeah Yeah, reptiles yeah okay whatever (laughs) eat a dick i'm rich i have 60 odds fuck you i mean we talked about this in our x-files episode as well it's in every episode yeah it's just evergreen (laughs) 
it is because people just wait just get it man just get it it's not that hard you just like read you know a rep it's not even they don't even hide it man read fucking fox if that's what you want it's in there i i don't know it's i think it takes a lot of energy to fox sort of business to get woke to the idea that like no the people in charge of shit are only in charge because they have money and their only function is to use their money to get more, more money and that's it that's like that's the conspiracy you just saw behind the curtain mm-hmm. you're just mad because mark wouldn't let you back on facebook because you were mean to so the other thing that it's sort of this this movie directly nods to again in sort of conspiracy circles is Dr. Strangelove himself the guy who the movie is named after? And I kind of was interested in why you guys thought that the movie was named after this character who's a side character. Um, well, and- he explains the whole thing. That's why. He explains the whole point of the Doomsday Device and the ridiculousness of... Well, doesn't explain the... But he personifies the ridiculousness of the this attitude of, like, perpetual... Uh, you know, the like the arms race and like superiority and the pursuit of military superiority. Yeah, and perpetual yeah. imminent conflict. Yeah, right. And he'll finally get his uh, Ubermenschen. I mean, yeah. that's, like, that's right. like Operation Paperclip, right? Yeah, he's a reference to yeah. Oper- Operation Paperclip, and directly, I think the scientist Werner von Braun, who designed the V two rocket for Germany during the Second World Everybody War, says that. I, I mean, have, has anybody actually read anything about whether or not he was? a Nazi as opposed to just, uh, Werner von Braun was a hundred percent a Nazi. Oh, he, not yeah. like he worked for the Nazis, but like, yeah, he was into the eugenics and the, Oh no, I don't, I don't, stuff. I don't think he was a eugenicist, but, uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, he was pretty. Like, hey, you know, my grandfather helped smuggle Niels Bohr out of Denmark. Cool. That's really? awesome. Yeah, really. That's pretty That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, know that. Well done. Yeah. And Sam's grandfather worked on the Manhattan Project. Cool. We got a (laughs) we got Robot House origins in the history of atomic weaponry all over the place. I have no idea why this movie is called Doctor Strangelove. It's it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle. Why is that guy named Doctor Strangelove? I mean, last name Strangelove. I don't. I thought I knew the answer to this at some point. Huh. Like it's a reference to something. Is it? Right. I don't know. Maybe it's it is, and I just am an idiot. Strange love for the world or something. Huh, maybe. So, yeah, and ultimately, I guess we didn't really sort of discuss this in the breakdown, but but what happens is when it becomes clear that the Americans are not going to be able to stop their one last jet and that it's going to trigger this Russian doomsday device, uh, Dr. Strangelove discusses the alternative, which is to basically start a eugenic program at the bottom of these mine shafts where 100,000 Ubermenschen repopulate the Earth. No, mostly Uber Domin, I think. Yeah, that's true. It's yes. 10 women for every man. I mean, that's another theme of this movie, right? Is sort of uh, maybe American or maybe just the world world's male preoccupation with sex. Yeah, like you have the Jack D. Ripper talking about his fluids, and then you have, um, you have even have that random guy, Bat Guano, <laughs> who 
keeps calling Mandrake a prevert. Uh huh. Yeah. Like he's just like assumes like he meets this random guy and his first assumption is that he's a pervert because somehow. he has a British accent. I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he, he has an affect of a pervert. I wouldn't. I don't think that one was wrong on that count. <laughs> also, I mean, yeah, he didn't say name that mono. So, yeah. British people perverts. Uh, well, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Prince William. Well, I think we have to uh, differentiate English from Scots, Welsh, Northern Irish. I mean, you could all technically be referred to as British. I think Fair we, we, we really we mean English when we say stuff like that, don't we? Right. Yeah, yeah, no. no yeah, we don't want to be offensive. Cool. Yeah, that's right. true. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't want to When we talk about when we talk about terminal genetic decline, we're not talking about Scotland. <laughs> no, you guys fucking rule. Yeah, actually, did you guys find? I, I, I was I was talking to Carolyn about this when we were watching. I was like, uh, Lieutenant Guano, who's the guy who. Um, liberates the base where uh, Jack D. Ripper has like locked up. up this situation. Yeah, hold up, exactly. Did he remind you? He reminded me so much of like teachers I had in elementary school, which obviously I don't see these people in the system anymore, who very clearly were like Korean war vets that were like deeply damaged and then like got a teaching degree through the GI Bill and were like sunsetting their careers. Did you guys ever have teachers like that? No. No, no. <laughs> I had like three or four so. as a small child. Like I remember I had this second grade teacher who made us like salute the flag every morning and sing like patriotic songs and like would always talk about like this this is the will of the man upstairs, kids. Well, I'm learning a lot about you right now. Really? Yeah, Mr. Vinya. I mean I'm sure he's dead now. But like yeah, I had like three teachers that I can remember off the top of my head that were like very damaged Korean war vets. One of them used to carry a knife around in his pocket. And like, if we got too loud in the class, his last name was Hellriggle. And he had an H on his desk that was like made of brass and he would slam it on the desk until we were quiet. Wow. Everything's great. I'm super, that's Uh, why I went into teaching. Mm, Yeah. Makes sense. Having untreated battle trauma and then having to teach rotten kids does not sound fun to me. It is yeah. a pretty intense elementary, is it elementary school, you said? Yeah, this was my second yeah. grade teacher, my fourth grade teacher, and my fifth grade teacher. These are pretty intense elementary school teachers. I know. <laughs> Think about it. It's like, <laughs> what were you guys like? What was your job interview like? But it must have been like back in the day when if you were just like a white guy with like slicked combed hair, they'd be like, you seem like a straight shooter. Sure am, sir. Get you in there with both for the union. We need your, your photos to fill out the union block to prevent minority control. Yeah, but so yep. the end of the movie, which again is spectacular, is like mm-hmm. the doomsday device goes off and you're seeing all these bombs and Strangelove gets out of his chair. I, I just thought the end of the movie is kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, I mean, so the movie I'm thinking of, the other Peter Sellers movies being there, and um, no spoilers. The point that Roger Ebert made about it is, the only thing you know is what's on the screen. I mean, like you, you don't, you don't put any extra information on there. I think that applies to this also. It's like, what the hell does that mean when 
uh, you know, Doctor Strangelove gets up and says, Mind Fiora, I can walk. I don't know. It could mean a lot of different things. Yeah. It means he's turgid. I mean, yeah, and yeah, really. again, there's there's the repeat of the idea of, like, you know, masculinity and, like, reclaiming your masculinity and how fucking fallacious that ultimately is. Yeah, and then they all die. And then they all die. Because it's meaningless. The whole way through the movie, actually, there's this sense of, like, you know, there's that conversation when the president, uh, uh, Merkin Muffley, <laughs> uh, finally gets in touch. Oh my god! With, uh, really? His counterpart or whatever the 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 Russian guy. Kiss off. I think Kiss off. Yeah, is that the guy he's Kiss calling? Off. Okay, yeah, okay, the premiere. Um, and he, they're having like this totally mundane conversation. They've got like eighteen minutes before the whole world ends, and they're like, "No, <laughs> so I'm we're sorry." Both, <laughs> so like, we're both glad that we're. Yeah, yeah. But so, like the whole way through, you're like, "Oh, nobody actually gets it." Like, this is just the next adventure in their like career of, you know, being on top. They don't understand that like once the world is gone, they are also going to be gone. You I know? think that I have a slightly different interpretation of it. I just mm-hmm. the way I always thought about that is like they were playing a game, and now they they had no sense of what they have gotten into. Like they were. They never believed that this could actually happen. Like they were on top and they were respectively premier and president because they were doing this goofball shit. Um, and they didn't really, there's, there's no interest or inclination to kill the other side or beat the other side. Right. Or, so it's not ideological. They just want to win. You know, they just want to be the winner. And I think that that was, you know, why they built the doomsday device. And certainly get that sense from Peter Sellers, president's character. Yeah, well, this movie is shot through with that of like the idea of the pure ideologue, represented by Jack the Ripper, being like completely divorced from the reality that these other people are pursuing every single minute, even right. though they're basically pursuing the same agenda. And like how horrifying it is to see their ideology laid bare. And, and see someone actually stand up and say, yeah, I believe in all the things. We should be nuking them. And again, it, it relates back to sort of modern stuff because I see so many people who claim to be progressive or claim to sort of fall on the left. And like when push comes to shove ideologically, they believe nothing. And it's like, yeah, you just hate the president because you hate him aesthetically, not ideologically. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. No, oh, but, but I, I share the same beef. I don't necessarily see the connection. Yeah, I, I guess maybe there isn't a connection, but I don't know. Or m- maybe the connection is more in, like, you know, the Bush administration of, like, you know, did he actually believe in the end times? Like, fuck no. He was just using that to sell, you know, uh, neocon agenda to poor people in the middle of the country. Well, there's always going to be an interesting mix of um, ideologues and opportunists. Yeah, and power, maybe it's, power attracts both, right? Yeah, maybe it's just like this is just something that's married to the political system in all forms. Mm-hmm. Um, but Alan, I had a question for you about like the actual physics of nuclear winter and 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 how much sort of first of all, what would happen in an atomic apocalypse, and how much fissile material would have to go off for that to actually happen. I just want to say, Al- Alan, is this something you know about? No. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a, a, a specialist, you know, a specialty. 
I wish we were video. Yeah, you could have given me some that, warning. That face was great. <laughs> yeah, I should have texted you. I'm sorry. Instead, I just texted you like, "Sup, brah." <laughs> let's, let's just pause for like 40 seconds while Alan does a little research. Yeah, 40 seconds. Yeah, 40 seconds. Uh, Carl Sagan famously, he was a big proponent that if there was like one detonate nuclear detonation above a certain threshold, that it would trigger a nuclear winter. And this is something he tried above, to do. like in power or in altitude. In, in power. In power. Oh, in power I think. oh, okay. Yeah. Like it would, it would, it would um, create some sort of like climate disruption that would just. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, well, there's say. evidence. Like I think it's crack. No, not Krakatoa. There, there's some um, volcanic eruption that basically caused a, the same thing. Like it yeah, just the year without the sun a summer. For, yeah. So if that went on for more than a, a year, um, like a whole growing cycle, I think we'd, we're just all done, you know, without without underground. That's different, that's different from nuclear winter. I think nuclear no, no, winter. but I'm saying nuclear winter is a result. Of, it's not just the fallout. That's bad, too, but, but the obscuring the sun. That's what would kill life on Earth, I think. Because oh. if you had fallout but still sun... You just have like a whole bunch of diseased and mutated organisms. A lot of them would probably die off, but you still have life on the planet, right? Wait, so the impact from a nuclear detonation would send up like dust and dust particles that would block the That's sun? what people mean when they say yeah. nuclear winter, I think. Yeah, because yeah, nuclear oh. winter isn't actually about the amount of radiation on the surface of the Earth necessarily. It's about the clouds obscuring the sun. Right. The, the year that you're talking about is 1816, and it was Mount Tambora in the Philippines. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, it's funny because I was just teaching an SAT passage on this. Hmm. Um, yeah, so it was like, you know, Mount Tambor. But because there wasn't global communication of a modern scale, nobody knew why there was no summer that year. It just like, right. you know, it famously snowed on July 4th, which is crazy. I mean, like, I think that, you know, we didn't really talk about it, but Alan's point about there's like, there's like weird connections with sex. I think some of that is like a play for subversiveness at the time. But also, the, there's like definitely a Freudian backdrop to this that we are not as familiar with because it was just like a time period when people would be a lot more familiar with Freud, and I think that plays into it. And a lot of the references, I think, are probably lost on on me anyway. I, um, I have a bone to pick with somebody. I, I have a beef. I'm going to start a beef. Uh oh. Not Is someone here. here? Not not someone here. Someone oh. who's definitely not here. Uh, a, a certain uh, college friend of mine who um, went on, has gone on to become a rather well-known uh, TV writer. Um, he, I remember like talking to him freshman year. This is like college, so a lot of these opinions are forgivable. Wait, Alan's like, smiling like he knows who we're talking about, but I don't... I, just put, put in the chat. Um, so, you know, I remember like him talking smack about this movie. Uh, and like this in 2001 and he was like oh what? You, I, yeah he was like oh you you probably think like kubrick is like one of the greatest directors ever and i was like i do think that i mean like i don't think that i've seen like all the movies in the world and yeah definitely at the time my two favorite directors were kubrick and kurosawa which is like kind of cliche and kind of trite but they're really good i mean like i have watched a lot of uh, like, you know, Kubrick, like more obscure Kubrick movies, I and mean, the Kurosawa movies. That guy's a really good director. Like, his, his entire oeuvre is fucking great. Um, so, um, I mean, like, I don't know. And 
it was just I. It, Look at that. This is a great movie. This is an incredible movie. This is an unbelievable movie. I know that there's been a lot of backlash against Kubrick over the years for being like too heavy handed or, but I think that a lot of that is based in the fact that like Americans were entirely uneducated about European cinema. And he's somebody who's taking a lot of ideas from European cinema and bringing them to American movies. And so like, yeah, he gets this reputation as being this like masterful director and well-deserved because his movies are all pretty much wonderful. Um, and he only made seven movies in the sort of his Imperial period or something like that. Uh, but I, I think I get the backlash. I don't agree with it, but I kind of, I understand it where it's like, you know, people who want to watch an Ingmar Bergman movie or want to watch, uh, I don't know, many, many other fantastic, you know, directors and mm -hmm. sort of hate that he was sort of using up all the, the bandwidth for American directors, but whatever they're, they're jerks. They're like iconoclasts. I mean, I in air quotes. you kind of can't argue with the end product though. Yeah, that's uh, this, totally. is a, this is an hour and thirty minute movie that is this like beat for beat fucking perfect. Yeah, and and again, oh, when we watch a movie that is only an hour and a half, I get so happy. Mm -hmm. This isn't sci-fi though, like not really. I mean, the Doomsday Device is sci-fi. Strange Love is sci-fi as a character, Ish. but no, this movie is not really sci-fi. It's more speculative than anything. It's it's sci-fi because we don't have a Doomsday Device, and that's about it. Well, oh yeah, and I forgot to mention that that there actually was. There's also we don't we don't have birds attacking and killing people on masses. Birds, sci-fi. Well, no, no that's a not a scientific movie. development. But, oh, all right. Some but, ornithologists would would beg to differ. Well, hold up though, because uh, the Doomsday Device was a reality, right? Like in in some of those like declassified post Cold War doc documents that came out probably only like ten years ago. Now, there was a Russian program called the Dead Hand. That was basically an automated counter-strike should Moscow be nuked. Cool. Yeah, but like to take out Washington and New York and LA. You know, LA and San Francisco. Not to kill everyone on Earth with a cloud of nuclear fallout. Like that might be a side effect. But this this weapon they're talking about is speculative science. That's all True. I know. Like you could have in fact, this is one thing I wanted to say about the movie, you could take that out. And just say we had a computer designed to just, like you said, just fire warheads at a bunch of cities. That is a thing that existed. It's not sci-fi. The movie would not really be different at all if you didn't have the Doomsday device. Yeah, true. All but right. Technically sci-fi. So should we throw it to endorsements? Yeah, why not? Cool, yeah. Raph. Raph, what do you got? Oh, I need a second. Need a little second. Alan, what do you got? Mm, I'll endorse LA 92. Have you guys seen that? No. No. What's that? A documentary about the Rodney King. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, and it's really good. It goes through, you know, like the whole series of events starting. Well, starting with some history, but then like starting, then kind of starting with the Rodney King beating and then various events after that and then kind of ending with the, with the riots and, and then, uh, Bush's like, uh, you know, address after the riots. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Cool. Nice. It's really sad. 
how little things change. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna endorse uh, my dog Macaroni. Hell yeah, he's great. Hell cute. That's what you had to look up. <laughs> I was thinking about maybe doing a movie, but I don't know. He's great. I uh, I started watching Eyes on the Prize, which you can find on YouTube. It's a history of the black movement and civil rights movement. Oh, yeah, stuff. that is really good, yeah. It's really good. I, I've seen that. And similarly, it was it is very depressing how little things have changed. Mm-hmm. It's a great documentary series. Yeah, quite excellent. And I'm going to endorse uh, The Conversation. Francis Ford Coppola in 1974 classic movie. I rewatched it the other day with Carolyn and wait, I thought that was with Seth Rogen. Yeah, that's a different movie. <laughs> that's the interview, Sam. Ah. Um, yeah, I don't know. San Francisco, Gene Hackman, uh, Harrison Ford is in it. It's cool. It's a, it's, it's a, a really movie. weird movie. Yeah. And I love it. Um, it's, Super existential, I think. Yeah. Gene Hackman is in that. Yeah, Gene Hackman is the lead. Back like to a simpler time when you could be the lead in a movie and be like an ugly, chunky, mustachioed fifty-year-old. <laughs> like it's pretty mind-blowing now. Like again, when we see like Peter Sellers as the lead in a movie, and you're just like, "What the fuck?" This like. I mean, he is fucking hilarious. So. He's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. All right, thanks so much for tuning in, guys. You can follow us on social media. I'm at Asher Lack. That's am I. Me too. I'm at Asher Lack. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, Sam is at Case of Piles. Raph is at underscore Perquinos. And Alan is at Highly Affiligent. And you can follow the show at Robot House Pod, spelled H-A-U-S, on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. Bye. 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 Bye.